We're jumping into a new series this morning uh, called The Pursuit of God, and uh, you sh- should have gotten kind of a handout on the way in. You can kind of look at what's coming up the next four weeks. And this morning, we're talking about hearing God, which essentially is prayer. And uh, I think I get asked more questions on this than maybe any other thing in terms of um, how do I hear God? How do I, how do I talk to God? How do I know that it's God's voice? What if I'm not hearing God's voice? And I think that's one of the things, it's, it's so intimate and it's so real that, that the questions we have with that are, are very um, deep. And so um, it's kind of a, an important topic, I think, to talk on. And, and more, more than any other thing that I think I could talk on, I've, I think I have more to say on prayer or, or would want to say more on prayer than, than maybe anything else. So we've got a lot to cover. So let's just jump right in. And we're kind of going outline form this morning. So, I mean, those of you that have been here a long time are going to laugh. But uh, we're going we're gonna to try and do it that way. So uh, if you want to hear God, the first thing is create the conditions for God to speak. If you want to hear God, create the conditions for God to speak. I think when we talk about hearing God or prayer, we, we immediately try and jump to um, the conversational aspect or discerning like an audible voice. When we say audible, we don't mean sound right? Um, sound is just vibrations and vibrations that our mind is able to kind of congeal into intelligence. And, and the real idea of speaking is an intelligent thought. Does that make sense? And so I think we sometimes get ourselves so hung up. It's the, the question kids ask when they hear you talk about hearing God. We get hung up on the sound or the noise, or the voice, so to speak, in terms of an audible level, when the whole point of the audible thing in in the first place is for intelligent um, thought or intelligent words to come across. So when we're talking about hearing God, it's a lot like um, hearing ourselves talk. I mean, I don't don't talk out loud to hear myself through through my ear so that I can understand what it is that I'm intelligibly saying. I mean, I can just talk in my mind in complete silence. And when we're, when we're talking about hearing God speak, we're talking about the same idea that God would be able to communicate to us with intelligent thoughts, but we're not talking necessarily about an audible voice or, or sound. Um, but that's what we usually think of when we're talking about prayer. You know, what, what, what's the idea with the communications? And I think we miss the, the more relevant question, which is, what are the conditions into which God will speak? And how do we create the conditions for God to speak? So the first thing here is creating the conditions for God to speak. There's a lot that I could share, but I'm going to share two. The first one is obedience. Obedience. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God, says Jesus in Matthew 5.8. And in many ways, he's quoting the psalmist in Psalm 24, who says this, Who may ascend to the mountain of the Lord? Who may stand in his holy place? The one who has clean hands and a pure heart, who does not trust in an idol or swear by a false god. There's a, there's a huge link here to the purity of our motives, the purity of our heart, where we are kind of seeing ourselves going, whether we're going after the icons or the idols of life, um, or whether we're truly trying to follow God. And God is saying, the ones that want to hear me, the ones that want to see me move, are the ones that have a pure heart and pure motive that are right with me up into that And so the Proverbs would say this in 1529, that the Lord is far from the wicked, but that he hears the prayer of the righteous. The Lord is far from the wicked, but he hears the prayer of the righteous. And I think that prayer, if we really understand it, is an outgrowth 
of a comprehensive understanding and simple acceptance of Scripture. A comprehensive understanding and a simple acceptance of Scripture. That's why I think children are so beautiful with their prayer, is I think they have a more comprehensive and simple grasp of Scripture and a relationship with God than we do after we get all our information, have all of our doubts, and begin to try to parse everything out and get ourselves kind of all confused, and it's like the old game of Twister, and we're all, we're all locked up. But, but children, somehow, they, they get the analogy of, of the, this relationship with God is like mom or with dad, and it's, and it's big, and it, somehow I'm up underneath that, and, and there's a purity to that. My daughter, we were at Sun Mountain Fun Center, first time in like, I don't know, five years. Um, last time, <laughs> for like 10 years. Uh, but we're in Sun Mountain Fun Center, and my four-year-old, who I think expresses this to me, the faith of a child, we were at this little thing, you put a coin in, and it's got this ramp that goes back and forth, and, 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 and I'm looking at it, and I'm like, okay, so one out of 100 I mean, you know, you can size it up real quick. And she's not going to time it. She, she, she doesn't even understand what's going on. She just understands it's this game and it's a really big deal to her, four years old. And so she's got a coin and she's going to put it in this thing and, and it's going to go down kind of on this bridge that's, that's going back and forth and it's supposed to land in the back of a little mini dump truck. And if it does, you get tickets. And the tickets cost you like $100 to get 100 tickets and then you can buy something for like a dollar with the tickets. Um, not for another 10 years. Uh, but so here's Ashlyn, and she's, she's at four. And she goes to do it, and she stops and takes her coin and puts it to her heart. And she goes, God, please help this work for me. And it was so pure that I looked at that, and it's like I immediately broke. And I was like, God, please help that work for her, you know? Because I'm like, there's something so pure. It has nothing to do with tickets, you know? I'll give her money. But, but that faith, like, and, and just that somehow there's a relationship there and, and that, she, that you're the one she wants to talk to. And, like, there's just something pure about that. And, and I think then we go on with life and then it gets so complicated. And, and I think we have to then come back to and all of our information to, you know what? It's a comprehensive view of Scripture. It's about being obedient. It's about being submissive. It's about being under God and God being very big and us being very small. And that when we do that and there's a rightness in that relationship and a purity of heart, then we've set the conditions for where I think we can hear God speak. Guess what? Ashlyn's coin went in the dump truck. We're going to get to it later, but the prayer of a righteous man... Or, or dad is powerful and effective. None of my other kids could, could get that trick to work. Um, anyways, uh, 1 Peter 3.12. For the eyes of the Lord are on the righteous, and his ears are attentive to their prayer. But the face of the Lord is against those who do evil. I think we run to talk about prayer way too quickly. I think we, we should talk about the conditions that would create the opportunity for us to have the prayer life that we want. We need to focus more on obedience. The second thing is repentance, which goes with the first. But repentance is a turning and a coming back into alignment with God when we're out of alignment with God. And so there's something so magical about repentance. It's never wrong. 
I mean, never do you see a time when a parent or, or God in Scripture would look at someone and say, you know, you're saying you're sorry too much. You know, it's really bothering me. You know, you're saying sorry too much. You're accepting responsibility too much. Like, I don't like that. It, you'd never see that, right? That when we can understand, recognize, admit, accept where we're, we're falling or failing or having a hard time or even struggling, just that honesty and transparency, it's never wrong. It's never wrong in our relationships, never wrong with God. And it's one of the things that, that brings us back into alignment quicker than anything else. First John 1.9, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. So the way to get back to being in a right relationship with God and having the purity of heart is being willing to just accept responsibility for what's going on. So in our, our cry of like, God, get me out of this fix, sometimes the first thing should be, God, I got myself into this fix. I did. I could have, I could have chosen other things. I could have gone a different way, but I didn't. And so now here I am. Please forgive me. And if I could call on you and, and have you speak into this situation, please show me the way out of it. Um, and so I think that we have to talk about the preconditions or, or creating the conditions for God to speak. First one, obedience. The second one, repentance. John Bunyan says this, in prayer, it is better to have a heart without words than words without a heart. In prayer, it is better to have a heart without words than words without a heart. The second thing is we need to listen for where we need to listen for God where he is already speaking. So first one, create the conditions for God to speak. Second thing, to listen for God where he is already speaking. We, we go uh, out expecting God to thunder down and, and to hear his voice and to have it be um, loud and, and clear and, and, and we want to figure out where we can go to to hear that voice. And, and what we miss, I think, a lot of times in that rush is that God is always speaking in certain areas. He's always speaking in certain areas. And if we really hunger for God on God's terms, then we would find ourselves in the places where God is always speaking. The first one here, there's many again, but the first one here is, is nature. Psalm 19 says this, the heavens declare the glory of God. The skies proclaim the work of his hands. Day after day, they pour forth speech. Night after night, they reveal knowledge. They have no speech, they use no words, no sound is heard from them, yet, even though there's not an audible sound, their voice goes out into all, their, uh, all the earth and their words to the ends of the world. So there's something about being out in nature, walking the river trail, staying up late at night, looking at the stars, whatever it might be, going for a drive on um, the freeway, going for a drive. I used to, when I was in um, seminary, I'd get about 11 o'clock at night, I would get on the freeways in LA, the five or, or others, and, and the, there's no traffic then. And you can put the sunroof open because the weather's always nice and, and you just drive and there's enough kind of background noise going on that you can just continue a conversation with God. No stoplights, no anything. And I'd end up at Laguna Beach or they were working on the five for like half a year one time. And so I started going out towards Riverside and, and one time I ended up at Big Bear. And I, like three in the morning, didn't know what to do. So I'm like sleeping in my car. And then the next morning, wondering why I did that. Um, it's probably why my ankle hurts. Uh, <laughs> but there's something about being out in nature, the wind or the stars or whatever it is, that, that 
gives you access to knowledge or to speech or to communication with God that we have a hard time finding any other way. And if we know that, and I think we've all experienced that, and if we know that, then when we want to hear God, one of the things we need to do is go put ourselves where God can speak to us more readily because there is always knowledge, there's always this voice coming forth from, from nature. I tried to teach a bunch of interns this one time. I'm like, you don't understand, when you're wrestling with life and you go out in nature, it's somehow the metaphors begin to speak to you. You know, I was at the Huntington Library one time and and I was journaling and walking around and praying the Psalms. I was there for hours and, and uh, I, was, I was wrestling with an issue and I looked up at a tree and there's light coming through and there's light on some leaves but not on others. You know, some are in, in, in the sun and some are in the shade and the ones in the sun were glorious. Like you could just, the translucence and, and everything else was just beautiful. And then the ones in the shade were very simple, you know, looking. They weren't as, as glorious and and I looked at that and I said, you know, that's like life sometimes, right? I mean, those of us that are experiencing God's blessing, it's not that we're better than other people right now or in this season. It's that we're lucky and we're benefiting from the light of his glory and we rejoice in that. We don't look at others and say somehow they're doing something wrong and all that we have comes from God. It's the beauty that came that way. And you begin to go, so what do I do when I'm in that position of having maybe more than others? Um, I'm able to turn and I have more to give than if I were in the shade or, or found myself in lack. So in times of plenty, I want to be found being generous. And I want to find being uh, gracious. And so, I mean, that's just one example kind of from my life. And you get by a river. I sent interns by, into Drake Park by the river. And I'm like, stare at that river until a spiritual principle is driven home in your own heart. You know what I'm saying? And, and there's something about the metaphors of nature that help clarify the issues of life. And so, listen for God where he's already speaking in nature and then in Scripture. Turn, if you will, to Psalm 119. Book of Psalms in the middle of your Bible. Psalm 119 is one of the longest psalms. We'll just read. It's broken into sections, and we'll just read uh, the second one here. Psalm 119, starting in verse 9. How can a young man keep his way pure? So how do we have purity of heart? How do we have the rightness in our relationship with God that we desire? By living according to your word. I seek you with all my heart. Do not let me stray from your commands. I have hidden your word, the message, the content, the information. I've, I've hidden that in my heart that I might not sin against you. Praise be to you, O Lord. Teach me your decrees. With my lips I recount all the laws that come from your mouth and I rejoice in following your statutes as one rejoices in great riches. I meditate on your precepts and consider your ways. I delight in your, your decrees and I will not neglect your word. And there's something about what God has taught and what God has revealed that we have to stew on and reflect on and, and, and think about so that it begins to just be like in us, and, and then it kind of comes out. Uh, I had a situation this week. Um, we woke up 4th of July. Well, we did a whole lot of things. Then about 2 o'clock, we went out, and uh, all eight tires on both cars were slashed. All eight tires. No one else in the neighborhood, and uh, 
both Les Schwab and the police said you never see like all eight tires on two cars in a driveway slash. Usually it's kids and they puncture two car, uh, tires and run. So they, they speculated that it was in response to an article in the bulletin that talked about the Killens College master's degree um, in justice, social justice and Christianity in the Bible. And um, So it was a, <laughs> we were stranded for July 4th. Uh, so we, you know, we kind of hung out at home and tried to talk the kids into believing that their home was still safe, right? Um, which as a parent is a strange thing. Uh, but so on Friday, we, we, uh, we learned the glories of Les Schwab. Yeah. And, uh, and so Friday, uh, we called in. So, I mean, it's a whole back and forth, right? So it's a, it actually ended up being a friend of mine, Chet, shows up in the service car um, and... Uh, and Chet uh, helped us all day. So it's finding the tires, going back, getting new tires, coming out, putting the car on blocks, taking the old tires off, going back to Les Schwab, you know, putting the new tires on, bringing them back, putting them on the car, all on an incline on our driveway, uh, and then doing that to the other car. You know, and so it was, a, it was an all-day affair. So we were riding in the car with Chet because we had to go pick out the tires, pay for them, stuff like that. And, and so all this talk about tires, and, and Chet knows a lot about tires, and so he was talking about how he's, you know, every time he's with his friends, he's telling them, you need tires rotated, or you need this, you need that, what, what's wrong with you? Um, and so I began to realize, he, you know, he's got tires on the brain. Um, so we were driving down Brookswood, and I, I saw cars coming at us, you know, on the other side of the road, and I'm like, you know what? I said, Chet, when I drive down the road, I see cars coming at me. I'm curious, when you're driving down the road, do you see tires coming at you? <laughs> and he kind of turns at me and, 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 and cracks a smile, you know, and he's like, ah, kind of, you know, maybe not, but definitely when I'm in a parking lot, I see every tire on every car, and I'm really tempted sometimes to write a little note to people, like stick it on the windshield, like, what's wrong with you? Like, these tires don't belong on this car, or, you know, they got to get balanced. Um, but there's something about when you live and breathe information or a subject or content that when, it, when it's, it's, it's there and it's ever-present and, and you, you stew on it, that it begins to, to alter or to create your paradigms for how you perceive reality. You know what I'm talking about? I mean, the same is true when you buy a car and it's like a white whatever, and then, and then a week later you're like, oh my gosh. There's like a thousand of them on the road, and I never knew that, right? It's like, yeah, they were always there. You just didn't see them. And I think sometimes when we don't read Scripture, we, we're just like, you know what? God is so absent from my life. There's no content. There's no knowledge. There's no voice. There's no information. I feel really alone. I'm, I'm trying to fight my way through life, and, and I, I don't have that guidance I'm looking for. And then when you begin reading your Bible daily, and you begin like immersing yourselves in it and studying it. You begin to walk through life and you're like, God is speaking to me everywhere. In the morning when I was reading this, I'm like, how did I read this passage? I mean, it's crazy. I opened my Bible or it fell open and I'm reading. It's like, this is exactly what I needed to hear this morning. Or all of a sudden that word, it was like that word was coming up all day yesterday. And, and there it is. There's something alive in how God works out that dance with us when we read Scripture that if you're not reading scripture, you'll never understand. It's not a book at all. It's a vehicle or a mechanism for how God speaks to you. 
And when you do that, you begin walking into life and you're like, man, there's white cars everywhere. There's tires coming at me everywhere. It's like there's something that God is saying into all of this and I'm full of the knowledge that goes with what it is God would say to me. Does that make sense? So the first thing is create the conditions for God to speak. The second thing is to listen for God where he is already speaking. The third thing is, is this. It's ask to hear God's voice. Ask to hear God's voice. I was a college pastor, 26, 27, right, right before I met Tamara, and I was a nightmare. Um, I was a, yeah, I don't know. <laughs> Certainly, yeah. Um, I'm a contrarian. I have different opinions on almost everything, and my opinions are better than whoever's opinions were, were in place before I had my opinions. And, uh, and so it was really tough for a lot of my professors because I, cha- I would challenge them on a whole lot of things. Um, I mean, I had a, a theology professor that for 35 years had been teaching and, and had these set tests that he'd been using for 30 plus years. And, and the question was, how do we know that Scripture is God's infallible word? And you had to put John 17, I think it was 3, and it's thy word is truth, sanctify them by your truth. And I, and I went to him, and I said, this doesn't prove what you're asking in the question for the test. Now, I believe in the authority of Scripture, but John, uh, John recording what Jesus is saying in the garden, and in Greek talking about your logos and your message, your word, your statement. There's a different word for scriptures, graphos. So, so log, your word and your statement and your truth, um, it, it's, it's true. God, what you sent me here to testify to, what, who I am in this, it's true. And so now sanctify them by your truth. And he's looking at the cross where he's going to go and die. And, and even if it spoke to the scriptures, it would only speak to the Old Testament. The New Testament hadn't been written yet. And so I'm, I'm struggling with, and I talked to this professor, and, and, um, and I argued him to where he was like, huh, I'll have to go think about that. And then um, nothing changed. And that really bothered me, because if we really believe in truth, we have to play fair as Christians, Right? We can't just say we have truth on our side, so let's be a little lazy on, on how, we, how we argue it or defend it in logic. You know, we get to choose when and where we're going to use logic because we already have the truth. It's like, no, the, the, we should value it so much more because it, it, we, we say it belongs to us. We say that Jesus is truth. Does that make sense? And so I, I was really wrestling with a lot of Christianity, and I'm like, how come... All these things are, are, are said a certain way. I love this song, you know, Jesus, uh, your name is beautiful. And then Carolyn was singing, uh, there's power in the name of Jesus. And it's hard for some of us to, to get excited about that. Why? Because we were told as little kids that there's power in the name of Jesus. What does that mean? So just say Jesus at everything. You know what I'm talking about? It's like, oh my gosh, there's a guy that scares me. Jesus, 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 Jesus. I think I'm being attacked by Satan. Jesus, Jesus, Jesus. Like, oh my gosh, like, 
You know what I'm saying? It's like everything, and it became this spiritual force kind of deal where it was divorced almost from the person, but we were taught like that's the answer to everything. Just kind of throw Jesus at it, and it's like those exorcist movies, and and you kind of do that, and then you get a little older, and you don't tell anyone that you're thinking this, but you kind of go, what is that? I don't know that that really, I don't know that I see that. I don't know that I see Paul walking around like, Jesus, 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 you know what I mean? Like it's not, that's not how he's using it. And so then you begin to doubt Christianity because you're like, who's feeding me this stuff? And can I really like own that kind of faith? And then you like look at the Bible and you're like, I don't know that I see it like that in the Bible. So the problem is we pendulum swing. And then we end up with Christians that are kind of like, or, or grew up culturally, but we have all these kind of weird inoculations to the truth. Because we should be able to sing that and go, there is power in the name of Jesus. Jesus said to ask for anything in his name and he would give it. That's part of the beauty of prayer is that we're coming to somebody who, who not only hears us, but is declared and promised that he's going to move on our behalves, give us what it is we need to be successful in his name, and that that is only going to deepen and kind of build the relationship we have with him. And so the problem is we get inoculated to the truth because we have these weird, thin spiritual formulas that we use. And so there's just weird things that we do. And so we look at that. And so spiritual gifts is one of these for me. It is. What, what do I mean by that? Um, what is a spiritual gift? Has anyone ever asked that question? What is a spiritual gift? Well, it's a gift that's spiritual in nature. Well, <laughs> okay, more practically, what, what does that look like? And a spiritual gift, I'll just um, give to you the way I see it, is it's God covenanting with you that when you operate in faith in a certain area of ministry, that he will dispense the Holy Spirit in such a way or empower you in such a way that the result, the output, doesn't match the input. Meaning like the old uh, idea of a stereo receiver, right? There's an amplification that cannot be accounted for simply by what it is you're doing. I'm not talking about talents here. I'm talking about you boldly moving in a way in an area of ministry that you're charging into it and you're like, oh, that kind of stunk. That sermon, um, I, I'm going to just stop preaching. That, that sucked. And then like you hear the next day that, um, you saved half your, half your church, and you thought they, which is problematic because you thought they all were saved to begin with, but <laughs> you, you find out, like, you saved half the church, and you're like, what? what? How did, what happened there? I don't get that. Like, there's nothing human. It broke all the rules. It was so not Rick Warnish, you know, and it's, how did it connect? And you look at it, and you go, wow, and in humility, you say, God, thank you, because you took my weak words and you, you dispense the spirit in a way that amplified what I was doing to, to accomplish your ends. And, and that's, that's the evidence of a spiritual gift. You look at it and you're like, there's no reason, there's no logic for it other than that the Holy Spirit is taking something and making it better than what you could do by yourself. And the output, the, the fruit that comes from it on a spiritual level, is dynamic. Does that make sense? Okay? So what are spiritual gifts? I think there's spiritual gifts in terms of evangelism, mercy, 
leadership. Um, I mean, Moses saying, uh, God, I can't, I can't talk. I'm not eloquent. I, I don't have the, the gifts of speech or persuasion, so you don't want me. God's like, it's, um, did I not say I was going to go with you? Did I not say that I was covenanting to walk with you so that I, through, through the power of the Holy Spirit, would be doing the real heavy lifting? You just be faithful. You see how that works? Okay? Our view of spiritual gifting, the one that I always pass down is like, you pray a prayer, and it's a conveyor belt system um, because God is smarter, and, and he predates Henry Ford. And so it's a Christian conveyor belt system. You pray a prayer, and then the next thing is somehow spiritually you're queued up for a spiritual gift. That's, I don't know, I can't make a good sound. Um, you're queued up for a spiritual gift. You're stamped with a one spiritual gift. Has anyone ever thought of spiritual, having a spiritual gift in, in the quantity of more than one? We typically don't think that way because we're, we're on this conveyor belt system. I got saved. I got a spiritual gift. I kind of think maybe I know what it is because I'm talented at something, which, which I don't know is quite the same thing. And then we kind of move forward and we're like, I, got, I, got, I know I have a spiritual gift because I think the Bible says I'm supposed to have one because I'm a believer. And, and then we kind of move forward with that with a, a lot of vagary and a lot of confusion. And I think it's a really mechanistic, strange and foreign idea of spiritual gifting. I think God can gift you for a season because you need it, because the economic hardships you're going through or because of the startup phase to what he's called you to deal with. I think you can be gifted for a season and then have that gift move on. I think you can be, be gifted with more than one gift. I think you can be gifted with a whole lot. Jesus tells the parable of to him who has, more will be given. I think if you are really exercising in faith, kind of the movement into the area of ministry or to a lot of areas of ministry, believing that God's big enough to take care of you, that he's just gonna go before you or gift you in ways because he's like, my gosh, if I don't gift you, you're gonna make a train wreck of things, you know? I gotta, I gotta catch up with you and, and you know, solve all the messes that you're gonna make or would make. I think you can have a whole lot if you have that kind of faith. And here's another thing. I think you can ask for them. I think we're so caught up on asking for things that I don't think we ever stop and realize we can ask for capacities. Does that make sense? I mean, we, we do this right away with genies in the bottle, right? So there's a genie in the bottle, comes out, has Robin Williams' voice, and it's blue. Um, and he says, you know, I'll give you three wishes, Okay, what, what's the first thing, at least the smart ones in the room, think about? Anybody? I'm going to use my first wish to ask for more wishes, <laughs> right? I'm going to use my first wish to say, can I have your, your wand, you know? Um, I'm going to use my first, you know what I'm talking about? Like, that's smart. And we do that with genies. How come we don't do that with God? God, you say you'll answer prayer. You say that you'll move in these amazing ways. You say that you'll, you'll come down and go with us and your power and your presence will be with us and that it'll do the heavy lifting. And so when I run into this problem, instead of saying, God, zap the problem, 
If we really understood prayer, if we really understood spiritual gifting, I think we'd say, God, give me the capacity to handle these kinds of issues. Give me the leadership skills to be able to deal with these kinds of circumstances that I might lead your people. Give me the, the, the spiritual gift of positivity that, um, because I think I'm going to be hitting a lot of bumps. Give me the ability to rise above that. Give me the ability to connect with people. Give me the ability to articulate with um, clarity who you are and what you look like in the life of people. Like, give me the capacity. So here's the deal. I think you can have spiritual gifts now, then, sometime, season, lifetime. I think it varies. Why? Because God, you can't put them in a box, which means you can't put the things of God in a box. I think you can have more than one spiritual gift if we understand what spiritual gifts are, what it means to ask for them and to live for ministry and up into ministry. And I think the last thing here, and this is the kind of point, I think you can ask for the gift of prayer. I did, coming down from Big Bear. Um, so God, um, help me hear you clearly. I feel like, and I'm training to be a teacher, and prophecy is, is first and foremost about truth-telling, not foretelling. It's both, but... We miss that truth-telling component. I said, God, you're asking me to do this, and I'm studying this, and heck, I'm confused about a whole lot of things, and so I don't know how I'm going to teach with confidence. Would you give me the ability to hear your voice clearly so that I could have confidence to teach your people? Would you give me the gift of prophecy that way? Does that make sense? Is there anything keeping you from asking for that gift? Instead of asking in that moment, God, can I hear you now? Or asking, um, God, can you answer this prayer? If you really are willing to follow God into ministry, use your gifts, edify the church, be a witness. Is there anything keeping you from saying, God, give me, a, give me the ability to hear your voice clearly? Make me somebody that really has a prayer life that's distinct because this is how I think I could use that for your kingdom. So I think you ask to hear God's voice. I've never heard anyone teach that or no one ever told me that. But I kind of look at the Lord's Prayer maybe a little differently than I think we normally teach it. In the Lord's Prayer in, in uh, Matthew chapter 6, um, we see how we're supposed to pray, Right? Um, our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread, um, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. That prayer, how we're supposed to pray, is really all about the bigness of God, all about God up above us and us serving up underneath him. But what I find more fascinating is not Jesus saying what to pray, but that the disciples asked, how should we pray? Does that make sense? So I think we're so focused on the what that, that we never find ourselves in the position of the disciples saying, God, um, what should I pray right now? Can you talk to me about prayer in general and what would that look like in my life if I was going to have a dynamic relationship with you in terms of our communication and my ability to hear you, what would that look like for me? 
How would I posture myself? What do you need me to do? I'll do it because I'm asking for you to bless me with this gift that I might follow you that much more closely, have that much more confidence, have that much more joy that I might not sin and that I could hopefully do some kind of good in the lives of others. And so I think we should ask like the disciples. I think James talks about this and wisdom here, I think, is such a big, much bigger category than we think about it in terms of, and it says, if any of you lacks wisdom, you should ask God who gives generously to all without finding fault, and it will be given to you. So we should ask for divine guidance, divine wisdom, or divine capacity that we might understand and know prayer better. First thing, create the conditions for God to speak. Second thing, listen for where God is already speaking Third thing was to ask to hear God's voice. Understand the nature of spiritual gifts. And then the fourth thing here is pray prayers that God can answer. Pray prayers that God can answer. What do I mean by that? If you pray a prayer that is so vague that if God answered it, absolutely 100% and you would have no idea, then you're not praying a prayer that God can answer or that you can see that God is answering. Does that make sense? Jesus says this, Verily I say unto you, John 14, 12, Whoever believes in me will do the works I've been doing, and they will do even greater things than these, because I am going to the Father. And I will do whatever you ask in my name, so that the Father may be glorified in the Son. You may ask me for anything in my name, and I will do it. Here's the thing. Um, Santa Claus. We talk a lot about how God's not Santa Claus, and that's not correct. Here's what I mean by that. When we say God's not Santa Claus... Um, because he doesn't exist to serve all your needs and basically wait on you, and, and he's not this like guy without any kind of a will or plan for the world. All he does is exist for December 25th and to make little kids happy, right? So God's not Santa Claus. What we, what we then do in our minds is, is we pendulum swing to, well, then God must be the opposite of Santa Claus, See how we do that? No, God's not completely like Santa Claus, or Santa Claus resembles aspects of God, but is a caricature of God. See, we should be over here parsing it out, because the thing is, is God is omnipotent. He's, he's all-powerful. He can be everywhere on, on December 25th at one time. Uh, he's omniscient. He knows everything. He knows who's been naughty and who's been nice. We just talked about that, didn't we? Right? He can give gifts, and he knows the gifts that you need. And if, um, if Jesus is right when he says, If you then, though you are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will the Father in heaven give good gifts to those who ask him? Then God also is a father and benevolent in such that when he knows the things you need or hears the things you need, he has a desire to meet those needs and give those gifts. So if we understand Jesus correctly, there's something similar in that respect. So there are 
are a whole lot of overlapping aspects of our concept of Santa Claus and our concept or the reality of God. And what we want to look at is say, no, God is not to be trifled with. He's not just a fun little fairy tale. He's got a backbone. And he sometimes thunders. And he sometimes disciplines. And, and he has a plan for everything. And he's sovereign over it all. It's not just about gifts. And so God is not Santa Claus, even though they share a lot in our, in our mental construct, a lot of the similar attributes. But when we say God is not Santa Claus, we make this thing of, of kind of going over to here and go, okay, well, Santa Claus is nice. God's maybe less so. Santa Claus, like, really likes to give me good gifts. God just really cares about himself. Uh, he doesn't really like to give me things. And um, Santa Claus is kind of always out there giving stuff. God must be distant and really dealing with like 100-year centuries and, and not, not really me as an individual. Um, Santa Claus, it's fun. I can ask for what I want. I mean, I can make a list. I mean, I do sometimes make a list. For Santa Claus, I, I don't know that I can make a list for God. He really doesn't want to see a list. So I just need to tell him whatever he does is okay with me. Do you see where I'm going with this? Uh, I, I asked my, my wife about this sermon. And I said, so what, what do I need to talk about? And she says, you need to talk about when we got married. And, and what it was like then. And when we got married, it was interesting. She'd come from a culture where, where, where this had been spiritualized. Like you were a good Christian when you were willing to not expect anything from God. You were almost holy by not even asking for anything from God. And, and it was a kind of a religious whatever it was to just kind of Tell God, go do whatever you're going to do, and I'll still follow you just because I'm a good Christian. And that's what I do. You know what I'm talking about? It's very fatalistic. So this culture Tamara had grown up in was, was, with regard to prayer, was very fatalistic because it had pendulum swung away from Santa Claus um, and not looked at Scripture, Right? And so when, when we were engaged, we started talking about this, and this kind of comes out, and I was like, no, that's not, that's not God. You can make a list for God. You can ask for specific things from God. In fact, if you really believe that God loves you, God cares about you, and that he likes to give good gifts, and that when you ask for things in Jesus' name or ask for things according to his kind of ministry plans for you, that he actually is covenanted to give you things, if you believe that's true, you're not going to ask for, um, let me put it this way, if you believe Santa Claus is true, are you just going to ask for a car or are you going to ask for a red Mustang? Very real question. If you really believed that Santa Claus was true or that your very rich dad was acting like Santa Claus and wanted to be Santa Claus, had a Santa Claus complex, either one of them, but if you really believed your list was going to come true, do you ask for a car or 
if I only had a mode of transportation. Like, or do you actually say, this is what I'd really like, and this is why? You see what I'm saying? Your degree of confidence in who you're praying to is directly proportional to the degree of specificity in what it is you're asking for. Does that make sense? So, I'm t- I'm, so, so with Tamara, I'm like, Tamara, ask for it specifically. And so we were looking for an apartment in those days in L.A. You couldn't find an apartment that we could afford anywhere in L.A. And you certainly couldn't find one that you wanted to live in. And, and so I was, I was looking, I was doing the looking. I had more discretionary time because I was in school and doing ministry. But at least I was driving around and she had a, a, more of an office job at the time. And so I was on the hunt. And I said to her, I said, because this was what was dominating. I said, um, and, and our wedding was coming up quickly. I'm saying, I want you to write a list. Write a list of what, what you're looking for. And she wrote a list of six things. New carpet, safe, uh, do you remember? There she is. Um, golly gee. Uh, new paint, was that? I don't know, they were really, really, oh, a backyard, which there's no backyards in apartments in L.A. You know what I'm talking about? It's just, it's, it's so does. And then the, pri- the price was one, like 700 bucks or something like that. So I'm driving, and for two or three days, I was like, my gosh, like, God, you've got to answer this prayer for her because I don't, I don't care about the apartment complex. It's like my daughter with the coin at some mountain fun center. I want her to know that you're real like that. I want her faith to grow because that's how faith grows. When we, we see the evidence of God working, we get to experience God. So I started praying. So this one day I'm driving around and I just literally, with all the emotion I had, I was like crying. I'm like, God, for your glory, that you would get the credit in this and that our relationship and our marriage would be able to go down this trajectory instead of that one where we're not fatalistic, but we really can live in the, in the, the light of the knowledge that you guide your people. Like, make this thing come true. And so I'm praying this. The minute I'm like praying this, I look over, and I, I had lived for six years, two miles from Biola University, one road, La Mirada Boulevard, back and forth. I had a job at a church this way, the school was this way. I drove La Mirada Boulevard 20 times a day for, for six-something years. Just at that moment, about a quarter of a mile from where I lived, I'm driving. There's a laundromat. I always knew the laundromat was there, but I'm praying this, and I look up, and there's a sign about this big for apartments that were down a little skinny driveway below the laundromat that for six-something years I had never known existed. And I see this sign, and I stop in the middle of the road. I'm like, I, wow. And I turn in. I go find the manager's office, and I, I find this lady, and I say, hey, listen, here's the deal. We're getting married. I'm a Biola student. Um, this is unbelievable, this place. It has this pool. It's like, like, um, flowers and gardens kind of in between things and, and I said I, I need a place all I've got is $700 and she said I'm going to move you to the front of the list because I really like you and I felt like 
the people on the list were not right for this neighborhood. And she goes, we've got two brothers that have lived in a unit for 30 years. They're smokers. Um, and we've had to finally evict them. It, it comes ready. Uh, we got married July 15th. It comes ready, I'm sorry, January 15th. <laughs> January 15th. We got married January 15th. It comes ready January 7th. But hey, they're smokers, so I need a couple days. We have to replace all the carpet, and we need to paint all the walls, and it's time to update um, all of the, the uh, appliances in, in the apartment. And this apartment complex was built back in the 40s. It had a fenced-in backyard. No one above us. All of, all of it was one level. That was another one of the things. And it was an end unit, so only people on one side. And so we walked into this thing, and every single one of those things on the list, to a T, were answered. And Tamara had prayed a prayer that God could answer. I prayed a prayer. God, answer her prayer, that God could answer. And, and so when this happened, it changed the course of our marriage. We pray about, we pray about everything. We're really weird that way. We, I mean, we put everything before God and we were like, look, we have opinions about everything. We're pretty sure you do too. We want your opinions. Just you let us know what they are. We'll follow those opinions but though, uh, there's, there's something tied between your confidence that God exists and wants to answer prayers and give good gifts to people that will dictate the degree of specificity that you have in your prayers. And if you're never praying with specificity, you're never going to know when God actually answers your prayer. Things will happen in life, and God might be moving, but you'll kind of just never really know because you've, you've always just been praying, well, God sustain me today, you know, I mean, it, which, is, which is a very specific prayer for that day, but I'm talking about very tangible things that when God answers, you can see it and he gets the glory. Last thing here, ah, we'll save this one for next week. It's the one on actually prayer. <laughs> well, um, yeah, well, just yeah, we'll leave that for next week. Next week we're going to talk about prayer. Um, I'll I'll end with I'll end with this story though. Um, I'll give you so if you're taking an outline, you're going to be mad at me. I'll give you what it is, and then we'll just save it for next week. But um, create the conditions for hearing God. So create the conditions for God to speak. Listen for where God is already speaking. Ask to hear God's voice. Pray prayers that God can answer. Create the conditions for hearing God. Uh, and then the last thing, which I will talk about, was this. Commit to praying without ceasing. See, prayer, we tend to do react from a reactionary standpoint. We have needs, so we turn to God, which is fine. That's one aspect of prayer. But what Jesus was doing that was so radically different from, these are, these are Jewish boys that have grown up in a Jewish culture, and they're seeing Jesus pray, and, and after a while they're like, teach us to pray like you pray. I mean, do you see the, the, why that's an odd question? Because they've been in a Jewish culture where the Psalms and, and the prayers are there, right? 
But what they said was, teach us to pray how you're praying. You keep going up on the mountain or a hilltop, spending the whole night in solitude. Like you keep doing all these things and we see that you put everything before God and it's different than what we've been taught. It's different than what we've seen or experienced. Teach us to pray like you pray. And if there's any one thing I want to say this morning is be proactive in how you approach prayer, that it is a lifelong growth, just like any relationship or friendship or a marriage or whatever it is. It is a lifelong commitment to growing in intimacy if you're going to have that kind of divine communication that you really hunger for and want. It is a lifelong commitment. It is a daily thing. It is something you've got to be proactive with. I was in a, a small group at Talbot, and J.P. Moreland was our mentor, and he told us, this group of people, he told us one night, he said, uh, hey, listen, I was, in a hot, I was in my hot tub, and God said, ask anything for your daughter. Ask anything for your daughter. He says, I heard it as plain as I hear my own, you know, the content in my own head. How do you know when God's speaking to you? Every thought you've ever had originated in your own mind. When you find a thought or an idea or, or a content that didn't originate in your own mind, it's pretty, pretty easy to know um, what doesn't fit. My daughter's playing, my four-year-old's playing this game, what doesn't fit, like dog, dog, cat, you know, cat, you know. But half of them, it's like, uh, I think they're all the same. Um, but, it's, but this is the game, right? All the thoughts originate here. When you, when you get one that's different, it's like out of the blue, it's a coincidence, but what my wife and I would call coincidence with a capital C, and you begin to find them lining up, it's like, this isn't, this isn't me. You, you know that God's speaking to you. It's one of the ways you know God's speaking to you. So J.P. Moreland was like, clear as day, ask something for your daughter. He says, so we had moved. My daughter hadn't heard from her best friend in two years. He says, I began to cry, and I said, God, please, um, I would care about my daughter, um, the relationality that we, we, we all have within us. And this is a very important thing. I pray, you know, that my daughter would, would have some kind of connection that way. The next morning, his daughter's friend from two years, you know, that she hadn't seen in two years, calls her. And JP's telling the story. Um, and then he tells the story of Dallas Willard, you know, kind of along the same way. Um, Dallas Willard had had an experience where God said, pull over to the side of the road and you pray for your son right now. And he did. He didn't know what the heck was going on. Well, at that moment, his son had gotten in a car accident on the freeway, flipped his cars a whole bunch of time, times and was, was, was literally fighting for his life. And, and he tells this group of that experience. And I'm watching the group. And all, I mean, picture yourself now. So a bunch of 20-something uh, guys and a couple gals and, and in this group. And JP's telling these stories of unbelievable intimacy with God. And I'm watching this group and I'm like, all these people are hearing is, or thinking is, I want that. I want to go home tonight and I want that. I want to go get in a hot tub tomorrow and I want that. That's what I've always wanted. I, I knew what it was, and it's, it's that. And it became so clear to me in that moment that what they were missing was that the that was the fruit of a life of prayer. 
And it was the exception, not the rule. And it was the result of an unbelievable amount of intimacy built up over time with these two people, J.P. Morrill and Dallas Willard. And all they were doing was saying, that, I want that and I want it right now. And they were missing the whole idea that it's a long process with the roots up underneath it. And, and we take prayer, switching metaphors, as a cut flower way too much. And prayer is something that has deep roots that you put down and you cultivate and you grow up into. And, and more and more you get to experience the blessing and the beauty of that divine communication like you would in any relationship. And so the last thing here is commit to praying without ceasing. Be proactive about it. Make it a discipline. Get after it. Hunger for it and thirst for it. Let it be the paradigm so that when you drive down the road, you see tires coming at you, not cars.